A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and the former West Ham United and England striker, Dean Ashton. Coming up, a look back on a busy midweek of European football for the English clubs. A daunting debut for Dean Smith as the Leicester City boss. He's away at Manchester City this weekend. And two of the Premier League's informed sides meet at Villa Park live on TalkSport as Newcastle are the visitors to the Midlands. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello, Dino. You are right. right? I'm very well, thanks. Yeah, keeping very well. Good, good. I'd always love to have Dino in his footballer's wives set uh, <laughs> on the Game Day podcast. And uh, Crookie is here as well. You're right. Mm, I was until about the last ten minutes oh, of the United no, game on Thursday yeah. night. Yeah, not not quite so chipper. Yeah, Manchester United didn't really help you out, did they? Um, they got themselves into a really good position against Sevilla. Sevilla who looked like you could play through them rather easily. Conceded two goals in the first 25 minutes of that game. Should have been out of sight. Wasn't. And then you let them back in. What happened? Combination of bad luck and bad play, really. Poor game management. Ten Hag's taking a bit of stick for his changes. I didn't actually have an issue with them at the time because Sevilla was so poor, so passive for most of that game. United did look like they were in control and then it all got wrestled away in the last 10 minutes. It's not just the fact they've got to go to Spain now and get a result. It's the fact they're going to have to do it without Bruno Fernandes because he's suspended. They lost Varane to an injury at half time, and the injury to Martinez Looks a really bad one as well. So all in all, quite a miserable night for Manchester United. Yeah, it's the sight of uh, Lissandro Martinez being carried off by two of his Argentine teammates was quite harrowing, Dean. And that is, I mean, if it is an Achilles injury, that's a bad injury. It is, yeah. Um, I think whenever a player goes down without anybody near them, um, that's that's always a worry, I would say. And someone some, that's sort of as combative as he is, I don't think he's going to go off unless there's there's a genuine problem. So let's hope that it's not that Achilles and that it's maybe, um, you know, a, a tightening of the calf or something like that. Because Crook, as Crook just said there, there's some massive games coming up, you know, obviously the second leg, but obviously FA Cup semi-final running for the top four. They do not want to be losing as many players as they seem to at the moment. Although I think Ten Hag with a little bit of good news about Rashford, who, who could possibly be back for the second leg. Yeah, well, fingers crossed on that because they certainly need him. Although goal scoring wasn't their issue last night. They were a bit unfortunate with those two goals that were conceded late on. I mean, sometimes things do go for you. The deflection off Harry Maguire's head that just seemed to just spiral into the top corner. And then the and the first goal, which seemed to come off uh, um, Malassia's knee and then onto the elbow of De Gea, past the goalkeeper and in. I mean, it was a... It was a little bit unfortunate as well. Uh, but to will Eric Ten Hag, do you think, start talking about the fact now? And he hasn't done this up until this point, really. He did have a little go about the scheduling last week. 
will he start talking about the fact that there's too many games and that these players are being asked to put uh, their bodies on the line too often now, Crook? Or, or is this just an example that actually Manchester United haven't rotated enough and they need a bigger squad? Well, they clearly need a bigger squad and they got a bit of stick when they were getting battered at Newcastle for getting out the green and gold scarves again and blaming the Glazers. But they didn't do enough in January to sustain a challenge on four fronts. I think they're starting to unfold a bit now. I think they can still win in Spain. You know, the Sevilla are not a great side. We saw that for much of the night. I'm more immediately worried about the Forest game because they're going to have to dust themselves down. I know Forest aren't in a great vein of form, but the City ground will be bouncing. This is oh, potentially a tricky You'd hate fixture. that as well, wouldn't you? You'd hate that as well, wouldn't you? Can you imagine if Nottingham Forest get themselves safe by beating Manchester United? You'd absolutely hate that. You wouldn't come back on Monday. And, Nick, and Lingard <laughs> right, gets okay, the winner. Another... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and before we get uh, stuck into this week's action, just a quick word on uh, the news that broke last night that the uh, assistant referee, Constantine Hatsidakis, is not going to face any action at all for the skirmish with Andy Robertson. Dean, your reaction to that? I think it's a sensible decision. Um, from my personal view, it did feel more of a reactional movement rather than an intentional one to, to, to hurt Andy Robertson. Um, obviously, a lot's been made of it, but I think that that is the right decision when they slowed it all down and I looked at it, that, that felt right to me. Okay, uh, let's get stuck into uh, this weekend's game, starting at the Etihad, where it's seemingly mission impossible for Dean Smith and his new charges. Ollie Watkins with a header! And Aston Villa have scored! And it's Ollie Watkins! Everyone knows the manager's in charge. Everyone's on board with that. Everyone's working hard as a team and there's no pressure on Aston Villa. Oh, Fabianski's come out of his goal. He's presented it straight back to Isak and he's lobbed it in from 25 yards out. Pulls it back. Kane! Was there ever any doubt when the ball broke for Harry Kane at the edge of the area? Still, Watara has it. Takes it wide. Down the right-hand side. Comes to Billing, joining late and he pops it in and Bournemouth have the lead. It ain't over till it's over. There's no league like the Premier League to tell you that. Manchester City take on Leicester 5.30 on Saturday night. A return to the Premier League for Dean Smith. Um, Okay, first of all, let's talk about Dean Smith. You're a a Norwich legend, Dean Ashton. I haven't got many. Um, And uh, (laughs) he lives in Norwich or somewhere near there. Um, uh, And you're actually allowed to go to the city. So we'll ask you after his... Uh, performance down at Carrow Road. Are you surprised that you got back into the Premier League or do you think this is a good appointment bearing in mind the situation they're in? Um, I, I, I can see your point. I mean, Crookie, I don't think he's legally allowed to talk about Norwich anymore after... <laughs> They've got an injunction. After <laughs> being proved absolutely right. Yeah, no, uh, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, I, I'm really surprised, to be honest. I think, actually, I've seen more on, on social media about about Shakespeare than I have about Dean Smith, as if Shakespeare coming okay. coming back to coming back to Leicester seems to be the positive out of it rather than the manager, which um, seems a little bit strange. I am surprised because he really struggled in terms of that connection with the Norwich support. He had some good results and started very well, which I guess is a positive. Um, if you're looking at how he started at Norwich, he had a fantastic start. Um, but it obviously all faded away and that connection to the support just wasn't there. 
I, I just wonder whether having a little bit more of a break has just refreshed him um, because you need to go in there and, and, and make something happen very, very quickly because they've, they've been that bad, Leicester. Um, I, I'm not too sure. I've, Leicester are so bad. Um, it is going to take something pretty special to, to, to get them out of it. And I'm, I'm not sure on, on what I saw at the end at Norwich. He'd, he very much lost that real passion and he looked very sort of annoyed almost at the, the Norwich support for, for questioning him. Um, they've lost seven of the last eight Leicester City crook and, and confidence isn't high. Johnny Evans spoke about that uh, after the game at the weekend. Uh, how do you put that right in, in such a short space of time? And will he need those sort of feel-good factors? Like Craig Shakespeare is very good at being a sort of feel-good guy around the place. And John Terry uh, in there to try and stiffen up a defence that literally is so leaky, it's unbelievable. It's like when people tell you a secret, you just tell the world. <laughs> I, I, I think a lot of this is going to be about the man management side, about the motivational side. I don't think necessarily there's going to be any great tactical change ahead of this game against Manchester City. I think you can write this one off, can't you? I, I said in midweek, maybe a little bit harshly, this is a job for a desperate man because effectively it's a seven-game survival bid. You can write off the Manchester City game, so they've got seven matches. Wow, that is harsh. Well, when did you say that? Because you're not going to attract a Rafa Benitez or a Graham Potter. Couldn't even attract a Jesse Marsh, so it had to be somebody with nothing to lose and everything to gain. I think, you know, Dean Smith wouldn't have got another job in the Premier League with the greatest respect in the world. So he has seven matches after this one to keep Leicester up. I don't think he'll do it. Um, I wasn't particularly impressed with what he did when he came in at Norwich and he had longer to try and keep them in the Premier League. It never looked likely. So good luck to him. But I think this probably seals Leicester's fate as a championship team next season. Oof, I think that's incredibly harsh. Is he blossoming? I think they've got fixtures they can win after this one. Um, I'm not saying they will win them, but there are three attackable fixtures coming up after this Manchester City game. You think they'll stay up? Live on Talk Sport. Do I think they'll stay up? Listen, I think it's folly to predict who's going to stay up because there's been so many twists and turns in this race and it's so tight, it's very difficult to suggest that fence uh, with any real certainty. But back in January, after January window closed, um, when the January window closed, I was on a kickoff show with Stuart Pearce and um, Adrian Durham and they asked for our three to go down. And my three to go down on the 1st of February were Bournemouth, that's not going to happen, Southampton, that is going to happen, and Leicester City. So there you go. That will give you some indication as to what I think. Dean, do you think Dean Smith keeps Leicester in the Premier League? Am I being harsh? No. I mean, but I thought Bournemouth, they absolutely worked them. You know, I thought Bournemouth were, were, Bournemouth were a side that you looked at and thought, there's a team that's going to have a right good go at staying up. Leicester look like, it's hard to say because you look at players that know they would get a move if they went down. Mm-hmm. And and I hate to see that sort of sort of um, effort levels concentration. Have you been in that situation where there's a dressing room and you know that there's something to fight for, but actually you can tell that there's people around you that aren't fighting as hard as you are because they know they're going to be all right, whatever happens. I haven't. No, I've, I experienced it a little bit when Norwich got relegated to the Championship. And we had a lot of big players in that side, and then that start of the Championship season didn't go very very well because I think players were still maybe thinking well they'll they'll get a move and and that might happen and it never did and we were really poor considering the players that we had so it's it's easy to seek through a, a side and also 
you need your best players. When you're down there and you're struggling and games should be tight, that's when you need your top players to do something in a game. I just, I don't see those players really standing up and going, I am absolutely fighting for everything for this football club to keep you in the division. I haven't seen that yet, personally. Well, Jamie Vardy's only scored one goal since October in the league, which is a, a bit of a problem for them. And goal scoring has been, uh, it's not a major issue, but they are scoring goals, but not enough goals with regularity for the number that they're conceding at the other end, which is a big, uh, big, big problem for them. Dean Smith did save Aston Villa at the end of the lockdown season by studying Italian defending and grinding out results and getting Villa over the line right at the end of that campaign. We shall see. But City are blossoming into a uh, a wonderful uh, team. They've come good at just the right time. They look physically sharp. They look fresh. They're playing wonderful football. I was at the Etihad on Tuesday night for their game against Bayern Munich. Wow, what a high-level game that was. And they were absolutely stunning in it. And, of course, the, the fact that they've got a three-goal cushion going into the second leg should give them every chance of being able to rest a couple for this weekend if they need to and use some of their big hitters if they want to. They've got a lot of freedom about them. And uh, you know what? I wouldn't be I wouldn't be ruling them out winning all three trophies uh, the way they look right now. Um, Chelsea against Brighton kicks off at three o'clock on Saturday afternoon. Um, Chelsea haven't beaten Brighton for three years. That's a good omen, isn't it, Crook? <laughs> I think that run could continue. Um, to be honest, good timing for Brighton. This game sandwiched between a double header against Real Madrid. Some people are mad enough to think Chelsea can still turn that tie around in the second leg. I'm not subscribing to that opinion. I think if Brighton play as well as they did at Tottenham last weekend, they get a bit more rub of the green. I think they're more than capable of beating a Chelsea side, which by Frank Lampard's own admission, is badly lacking in confidence. Um, Dean, um, give me Chelsea's best forward line because Crookie's been getting a bit of stick for saying uh, that he thought Kai Havertz, and I thought it was a bit harsh to say this, he said Kai Havertz was a waste of space. And he's been getting a bit of stick for that, which uh, I, I think he was just unnecessary. <laughs> it was unnecessary inflammatory. Um, I, but I don't think Kai Havertz has done anything to turn around and say, uh, pick me, gaffer. Um, so who should Chelsea's front two be? I don't think anyone's made a claim as such. Um, so why, why would you not give... Is, is, have they not got a, a kid in the youth team that's... that's you know, that's doing well. well they had Armando Brogia uh, playing up top for them, didn't they? And he, he he sort of seemed to be warming into the Premier League and then he got injured. But also, if, if you're not, um, if you're not, you if you're not going to play Aubameyang and you've, you've taken Havertz out for, you know, arguably the biggest game of the season um, in Madrid. I actually thought Havertz was playing well, as in, in, in terms of his all-round game, I thought was, you know, was pretty decent under Potter. Potter seemed to... to to use him as his main man, you know, he played a lot of minutes and I don't think he will under under Lampard as he didn't last time. But I actually thought he was starting to look like that proper number nine. And if he'd had a little bit more luck and a, and, a, and better finishing, we'd, have, we'd be saying, no, it's definitely Havertz. He's, he's, his all-round game's been good. He's been creating chances, been scoring the goals. But as always, you know, and I'm guilty of it. You look at the goal record, you look at the chances missed, and you go, "Well, he's had his chance. Let's let's have him out." And and that's the the difficulty. It's that that number nine shirt, whoever it is that that's don't, don't sit there nodding as if you think Dean's saying the right thing. He's basically saying the opposite of what you said the other day. 
<laughs> well, no, I'm saying he, he's agreeing with me that he doesn't score any goals. None of them score any goals. I mean, Jao Felix, what a chance that was in the first couple of minutes in the Bernabeu. If he scores that, it's oh, a it an outrageous tight. chance, yeah. They don't look yeah. capable I mean, of scoring listen, a goal. That, that, to, me, to me, out of all of them, you would expect, you know, the players with a goal-scoring reputation, albeit sometimes a little bit fortunate, is Raheem Sterling. So, you know, you would have him up there alongside somebody else and hope that Raheem can get into into some sort of form. The good news is there is a bit of a connection between Raheem and uh, Frank Lampard. They get on well. He likes playing for him. They uh, formed a, a good bond because of their playing time together, overlapped with England. So I think there's every chance here uh, that uh, Frank will pick Raheem Sterling on a more Sam, Sam, basis. When I, when I saw that team for Wolves, I was like, wow. I was like, he's changed the formation yeah, straight that, that, away. That, that team was that was named with a, a view on the, the the Madrid game, and they knew that he couldn't get Thiago Silva, Conte, and Mount back into the squad on Saturday and use them on Wednesday. But what about so what about they, a system, what a about a system that's going to be consistent and the players can get used to and work on? Is it is it going to be back to a back four? This weekend against Brighton, or is it going to be a back three? I think that I think ideally they would like to play a back four because it gives them more bodies further up the pitch, and therefore, if you get more bodies further up the pitch, you've got more chance of scoring goals, which has been Chelsea's big problem. The issue is if you're playing Thiago Silva, um, you've got to play in a back three because he wants the protection. Otherwise, if you're playing in a back four, you're not going to allow Chilwell and James to go anywhere, and they're your two most creative outlets. So it's it's it is a bit of a conundrum, isn't it? Because you've got pieces of the jigsaw that uh, are in specific positions that need specific things. And you have to protect Thiago Silva, but at the same time, you need to try and find a way to take the handbrake off so that they create more chances. So it's a balancing act. I think they'll settle on the three on the basis, as I've already mentioned, that Thiago Silva is available. But if he's not fit and he's not going to be available uh, in any of the other games, I mean, look, listen, after Wednesday night and they've played Real Madrid or Tuesday night and they've played Real Madrid, the season's over anyway. So they might as well just start experimenting. It's not over for Brighton. Uh, they've got a lot more to play for, including an FA Cup semi-final. And Chelsea's only hope, I think, of getting anything from this game is probably the fact that Brighton are thinking about a trip to Wembley. Uh, Crook, you've been uh, sucking up to them all week, Brighton, going down there. <laughs> Chatting with Zerbi, going to get buying your kids Brighton shirts. You know what he said to me, Dean, the other day. You're not going to believe this. He says to me, "If Brighton knock Manchester United out of the FA Cup, there'll be a little bit of me, just a little bit of me, that's quite pleased." Oh, I said one percent. You have I said one percent. Are you having Dean. that? But that's me getting my excuses in early because I actually think there's every chance that Brighton do that, and they didn't look like a team distracted by the FA Cup against Spurs, did they? And we know some of the conversations that Deserby's had privately with his players. I don't think he's going to let their eye be taken off the ball. No chance. Um, no Deserby on the sidelines, though. How much of an impact will that have, Dean? I think it will, but I just think Brighton are in such a great place um, that I, I don't think it'll have a, a huge impact. I, I've been just so impressed. They were so unlucky um, against Tottenham. We said, oh. um, I heard you both talking about how you felt that that Brighton would win that game, and they sh- and they they all but did, you know, in the performance they did anyway. And I expect the same. They're just such a well-oiled machine. Players seem to be playing at, right at the top of their their game, um, and I can see why Crook went down there to enjoy it. But it just shows there's there's not a team on the south coast that is uh, 
that isn't isn't going to be under the watchful eye of Crouch. He won't nestle up alongside <laughs> as soon as they're having a good run of form. He doesn't even say the word Southampton right he now. He can't wait for but Plymouth. Like Bournemouth and Brighton, he can't keep away. He's desperate for Plymouth <laughs> to get promoted. Yeah. He's like, where, where, Stephen Schumacher? Yeah, great lad. I'll get down there, yeah. Nominated for the FL Award for Manager of the Year in League One. He's fantastic. Yeah, let me get down there. Plymouth's not that far, no. Yeah, yeah. actually, fantastic. it is. Um, the football editor's yeah, listening. It's a miles. long way. <laughs> it's a long way. People make, people make out that Plymouth is some sort of like South Coast derby when they play, used to play Portsmouth. Everyone's like, what? Is that three hours away? What are you talking about? Um, <laughs> you should have seen him, though, in the sunshine down the South Coast, sitting there. You know, snuggling up to Paul Barber, the chief executive, big beer in his hand, you know, arms around all the players, taking selfies with Matoma and stuff like that. It was embarrassing. Uh, Aston Villa against Newcastle, 12.30 on Saturday lunchtime. Uh, two of the informed teams uh, meeting at Villa Park. Villa six wins in seven, Newcastle five in five. And two informed strikers, in fact, three informed strikers. Um, in Callum Wilson, Alexander Isaac and Ollie Watkins. Who would you rather have leading your line, Dean Ashton? Oh, that's hard. I think I really like Isaac as a as an, an all-round striker, what I think he can he can offer. Um but I would I would go with Watkins. I I I've loved Watkins since watching him at Brentford, the way he's developed from a, a mm. wide player into that centre forward. And I think all it's taken is a manager to go, you are my man, you are going to play, the team are going to look to provide for you, and there you see his talents, you know, come shining shining through. I think he's a, especially that lone striker role, it's such a difficult role to play, and he just does it with no um, sort of arrogance. You, you never see him sort of turning around, having a go at his teammate. He just gets his head down, works incredibly hard, and actually... I think there's even more to come from him as well. Uh, Crook, um, at halftime in the game against Brentford, anyhow, did a little tactical tweak, brought uh, Isaac and Wilson onto the pitch together to play them as a two. Um, do you think that they can do that from the start against Aston Villa? Would that be wise? Not sure, actually. Um, I think Eddie himself said afterwards that he would only really do that when circumstances allow. I think he'll probably have too much respect for Aston Villa and Bruno Emery to play with two strikers. You look at the form that Villa are in, he might feel it leaves them a little bit too open, particularly with Ollie Watkins, as you say, in such deadly form. I think this could be a terrific game, as you say, two, two of the most informed teams in the country. And what an achievement it would be for Villa if they could end up in one of those European places. And, and you wouldn't rule it out, would you? Well, you wouldn't rule it out because of current form. But if you have a quick glance at what's gone before and what's about to come you'll notice that uh, the fixtures that they've had are fixtures, a lot of them, that they should be putting points on the board against. And seven of their eight final games this season are against top half teams. So it's going to be difficult to maintain the record of six wins in seven between now and the end of the season. But nobody has put more points on the board than Umar Murray apart from Arsenal since he took over at Villa. So you never know. You never know. Spurs against Bournemouth is on TalkSport 2. At uh, three o'clock on Saturday. Oh, man. They were so lucky against Brighton last week. I mean, I've tipped, and Ray Parler was giving me stick on the breakfast show. I, I've tipped Bournemouth to go there and win this weekend. Is that as outlandish as it sounds, Dick? Um, yes, I think so, because I think they'll be able to. Just remember, we'll clip that up when they, they win won't. 2 1. <laughs> they won't. This is <laughs> Tottenham. It's a bold shout. 
Yeah, no, T- Tottenham will win this game for me because, and they'll be, and they won't do it in a pretty manner. I don't think it'll be a, a an easy win. It'll be, you know, difficult, slow going. But Harry Kane will score. Son probably will score, and Bournemouth will probably play well. But I just don't see anything other than a narrow Tottenham Tottenham win. To be honest. Is there any way that uh, the Premier League could charge Spurs with bringing the game into disrepute for playing such boring football and having great resources yet, but not 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 bothering to to actually try and entertain anyone? Is that possible? Um, look, Spurs have been bad all season, but somehow they still managed to get fifth. I mean, it, it, I don't know, but does it sort of like lend itself, or does it point to the fact that there is some sort of mega implosion coming? Because ultimately, they can't keep going on like this, Crook. No, but I remember saying that when they were 2-0 down at Bournemouth, stunk the place out and somehow came back to win 3-2. Gary O'Neill particularly dejected that afternoon because he felt his side couldn't have done too much more to win the game. So they've been doing it all season, Spurs, playing poorly and nicking results. It is a bold claim because Tottenham's home form is still reasonably good. They've still got Harry Kane, who when he gets a chance, more often than not, will stick it away. But what we know about Gary O'Neill is that one of his big strengths, as Tommy Elphick told us on Friday morning on the, the White and Jordan show, is his ability to read the opposition. He's very good at picking out weaknesses in the opposition and setting his team up to exploit those weaknesses. Spurs have weaknesses pretty much all over the park. So I think they can give it a good go, Bournemouth. I think they've got some exciting players going forward. Uh, people like Tavernier and Watara, who, who I've developed a real soft spot for, that can get in behind Tottenham defensively, that's a big question mark still. They tend to concede goals, particularly on the road. I'm not going to go as far as you and say Bournemouth will win the game. Wouldn't surprise me if it was a draw. Okay, Vincent Company's been linked with the job this week. Alan Brazil told uh, the world at Cheltenham that uh, Vincent Company had been sounded out about the Tottenham job a few uh, weeks ago and had already turned it down. What can you tell us, Grook? Uh, well, I thought he was quite uh, deflectional in his press conference on Thursday, Vincent Company. Didn't really want to answer any questions. My understanding is that Vincent Company is on Tottenham's shortlist. They're still doing due diligence on a number of candidates. So I think maybe the reports that he's the top target might be a little bit wider the mark. I don't have the sort of ranking order, but he's in their thoughts and you can understand why. Would he turn that job down? You know, he's done a wonderful job at Burnley, but it's it's a huge step up, isn't it, to go to Spurs? I just think that, you know, when someone does a good job in the championship for one season, it doesn't necessarily mean straight away that you should poach them, take them and put them into a team that are challenging for the top four. I don't understand why it's not okay for him to cut his teeth at Burnley. I mean, he might know different circumstances and it all depends on circumstances because if he hasn't got the ability to invest in the Burnley squad over the course of the summer and get them into a position where he can compete to stay in the Premier League, then quite rightly, he has to think self-preservation and think about getting another job elsewhere. But is Spurs the right job for him? Really? I mean, look, if you make a success of it, then you'll be a hero forever. But let's be completely honest about it. Tottenham Hotspur, over the course of the last 23 years under Enoch control, have appointed probably two or three managers, two managers that have enhanced their reputation by going to Tottenham. Apart from that, there's not been many, has there? So it's very, I would, it would be, if out of all the jobs, no, that's not true, because the, the other job you wouldn't take is Chelsea uh, if you were Vincent Company. 
Uh, but it, out of all the other jobs that are going to be available, I'm not necessarily sure this is the one for him, but we shall see. Um, uh, three wins in five for Bournemouth uh, and West Ham and Southampton and Leeds coming up. I mean, I think they'll probably stay up now. Dean, are you thinking the same thing? I just think out of the the, the teams down there, they seem the most um, set in terms of the way they play. They seem the most adventurous, the bravest. Um, like Crookie said, they do seem to find weaknesses in the opposition and, and exploit that. If they If they do go down... Honestly, I think the Bournemouth fans can go, do you know what? We've given it a right go. We haven't sat back and just tried to to win games 1-0. We've gone out, we've attacked the opposition, whoever it may be, like they did at the Emirates um, and like they have done all season. But I actually think, I, th- I feel like that's the way to stay up this season. You know, It's a very strange season. There's a lot of teams down there. I think it could be the way to go rather than trying to sit and defend. Because... It's a horrible way of playing. No one exactly, likes that. exactly, and and actually, you 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 get your own fans on your on your back when you when you play that exactly. way. Now, uh, three more games. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall—whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. It's on Saturdays to get stuck into, including Everton's clash against Fulham, who look like they've already gone on holiday. Yes, uh, let's whiz through some of Saturday's other games. Everton against Fulham. Everton home form being good under Dyche. Five defeats in a row for Fulham. Looks like someone has unplugged them from the wall, Crook. Yeah, and you, you sensed it was happening. You, you commentated the game for television at Old Trafford. You sensed that when they imploded from within in that game, that could be season over. Not just because they've lost Mitrovic, their main goal threat, but because... They've lost a bit of purpose and a bit of motivation, I think. So I think this is a great game for Everton at home against a Fulham side who clearly aren't the force they were earlier in the season. And I think this is a huge opportunity and Sean Dyche will see it as such to make a significant step towards safety. I think looking at the form of the teams going into the game and Everton were dreadful in the first half last week, improved in the second. But I think if they don't win this game, Sean Dyche will be disappointed and very worried. Um, do you want a stat of the uh, that probably is the stat of the weekend from the Everton Fulham game? Oh, yeah. Are you ready for this? Everton 
have won 14 of their last 15 Premier League home games against Fulham. How does that even happen? <laughs> that sounds outstanding. How can you win against a team for 14 out of 15 years? Ridiculous. Um, Southampton against uh, Palace. Uh, Roy Hodgson breaking the mould, playing swashbuckling, attacking football. And uh, Crystal Palace having more shots over the last couple of weeks than a game day podcast day out. <laughs> Not sure about that. Depends <laughs> if Scott Minto's yeah, going. Jeremy hasn't recovered yet. Yeah. <laughs> Scott Minto's disappeared after after that day, by the way. He hasn't come back yet. Uh, Dino, um, Southampton Palace. But this, I mean, listen, Southampton, if they lose this, they're definitely... Gone. Yeah, it's it's looking ominous, isn't it, for, for Southampton? And I was really impressed. Um, I worked on this game um, at Ellen Road and... Actually, the first half when Leeds were really, really good, you could see that Roy Hodgson um, defensive structure, really hard to break down, kept in your positions. And then second half, it was almost like, right, boys, you've done the hard work. Off you go. Eze, Elise, just go and be free. And they were just unbelievable, those two. Honestly, he's, he's, he clear, he's clearly watched a lot of Palace, which you would do as an ex-manager and... and you know, you'd be looking at, at how the person that took over w- would do. And he's clearly looked and thought straight away, I need Eberizzi Eze as a number 10. Straight away. And he's come in and he's been brilliant. You know, his creative stats are, are there to see from the first couple of games. Um, and you can then see that in the way they attack. Because what he does, Eze, is he's brilliant at getting the ball, gliding past two or three, and then everything just seems to open up once he's done that. And it's... It's rare to yeah. have those players that can that can do that. And yeah, they were magnificent second half. I, I don't expect it every single week, but you can really tell the freedom that's been given by, by Roy Hodgson, which he's been very, um, you know... Coy and humble, yeah. He's been <laughs> like, you know, yeah, no, look, it could all go wrong from here. It could all go wrong from here. But yeah, yeah, yeah. A couple of Havanas and a few margaritas for me and Ray. He's even started wearing trousers now. Um, <laughs> a crookie, Southampton. Um, Nate, can you give me any examples of uh, players that have been recruited over the last year that have actually done very well for them? Romeo Lavia is clearly a good player. He'll get himself a move in the summer. Um, I think maybe at times he's been guilty of believing his own hype this season. I still think Bazunu has the ability to be a good goalkeeper, but he's been thrown at the deep end and he's floundered a bit as a result of having such a porous defence in front of him. But uh, do you know what? I was going through the list of signings that Sport Republic have made um, (laughs) with a view to absolutely taking them down at the end of the season. Because you look at the summer, you look at the January window, they signed Paul Onawachu in January, six foot seven, doesn't get on the pitch. Ruben Sellers clearly doesn't fancy him. They signed Mislav Orsic that looked like an exciting signing at the time. But then if you dig a little bit deeper, Beautiful. you realise he's not a youngster. We've known about him for a number of years since he scored that hat-trick against Spurs in Europe. Why is nobody else taking a chance on him? Duye Kaleta Saar, I think there's questions about his character. So they clearly haven't done their diligence. It's been a bit of a... But a bit of a hodgepodge approach to the transfer market. They've spent a lot of money, Sport Republic. You can't have a go at them for that. But they've spent it badly. They've recruited managers poorly. And it's their fault that Southampton are going down. And when they do go down financially, what's going to, the impact going to be? Well, there, were, there, were, there was talk in one of the broadsheets this week that um, the owner um, needs to repay a loan by, I think, the end of next season. 
that he took out to buy the football club. So that always rings alarm bells. But they do have assets to sell. They will get money for Romeo Lavia. I think they'll get a little bit of money for Armel Belakotchap as well. Maybe Carl Walker-Peters, James Ward-Prowse, I think will go for a decent price. So they should be okay, but they need to... They need to get their recruitment sorted out and they need to get the managerial situation sorted out. I like Ruben Sellers as a, as a guy, not least because he dresses like me. But actually, the more I speak to him, it sounds like he's swallowed a coaching <laughs> manual. You know, last week after the Man City game, he's talking about building an identity, not looking at the league table. You're bottom of the table, fella. You've got eight games to keep this team in the Premier League. It's not about building identity. It's about winning bloody football matches. Yeah, you tell him, Crook. Remember, Crook is the man who told us that he could have managed uh, any team that Pep Guardiola has to similar success because of the resources that <laughs> Pep has had. So, you know, doesn't need to swallow a coaching manual. You just got to win bloody games, fella. Um, right, OK, two games on Sunday, including a big clash for Arsenal, who travel across London. So you and I, uh, Crook, have uh, been doing a White and Jordan and um, a couple of weeks ago, mm. in fact, it, well, how long ago was it? Was it four or five It was after the Arsenal no, beat Palace like in uh, the first game post-Viera. Yes, yes, it was. And Martin Keown uh, turned around to us and said, uh, you know, he's not getting too excited about Arsenal winning the title because you know, they've got some tough fixtures to come. I mean, look at this. They've got to go away to West Ham. Um, and, he, and he sort of almost had got into a cold sweat he started to panic a little bit. He was uh, rubbing his palms together. He couldn't just, you know, going to West Ham is hard. It's hard. It's hard. Um, almost as hard as the Man City and the Liverpool games he was trying to tell us. How hard is it going to be uh, for uh, Arsenal this weekend, Dean Ashton? Um, it really depends what sort of West Ham turn up. In previous seasons, a West Ham against the top side have been a very, very difficult team to face. Have been electric on the counter-attack. And it's not been a game that probably teams look forward to. This season, it's been the opposite. I mean, Newcastle just breezed past them, enjoyed their their evening's work, scoring five. Um, and they have, they've lost that real um, counter-attacking threat. Teams have really wised up to it. And obviously, with this game being sandwiched in between the, the European tie for West Ham, it couldn't be... You know, it couldn't really be any better for Arsenal who've had a nice, a nice rest, and uh, and I think this is going to be a really, really difficult game for West Ham and another game I think where David Moyes uh, may need to may need to sort of bunker down. He won't obviously; he'll always front up, but um, it, I think in front of the home fans, put his phone on silent, <laughs> don't go on Twitter, don't log into Instagram, that sort of thing. We get it. Uh, they did play a relatively strong team. Uh, Rice, Bowen, Aguerd, Ings away in Belgium on Thursday night. Uh, and the turnaround is incredibly quick. Uh, that is for sure. Um, but uh, Arsenal, uh, I wouldn't say they had a little wobble, but they were pegged back during the game against uh, Liverpool on Sunday afternoon. When you're going for promotion, um, a trophy and the end is in sight, do your legs start to get as heavy as one of Mikel Arte Antonio's... Uh, uh, dumbbells, Crook? Possibly. Um, but I, I'm not I'm not having it this game. Martin Keown's view that it's going to be difficult. You look at West Ham's record, I think the only team in the top nine they've beaten in the last 13 attempts was Aston Villa. They weren't great in Belgium in midweek against a very average side. You mentioned that West Ham named a strong lineup. Should have been 
more than strong enough to get the job done, and they couldn't. And I think the impressive thing about Arsenal, we've mentioned this before on the podcast, is that every time they have had a setback this season, they have this incredible ability for such a young group of players under such pressure in trying to deliver the first title in two decades. They always bounce back. And I think they'll bounce back in this game. I think they have the weapons. Gabriel Martinelli, I think, will have a lot of joy against that West Ham defence. So will Bukayo Saka. So not only do I think Arsenal will win this game, I think they'll probably win it fairly comfortably and just get their season back on track. Yeah, they've uh, scored uh, a lot of goals. They only failed to score once in 15 away games so far this season. Arsenal, West Ham United, they're, they're unbalanced, really. They don't score enough goals and they concede too many. Saliba will be still missing for Arsenal. That is a bit of a problem for them, especially holding, being a little bit rash last week. But I do think they'll have enough to get over the line in this game. Nottingham Forest, uh, Manchester United is the game after this at 4.30. A night to forget for Manchester United, as we mentioned at the top of the podcast, with Lissandro Martinez joining Rafa Varane, Marcus Rashford uh, on the uh, medical table. But Sabitzer has been particularly good for them, I think, uh, over the course of his alone spell. And do you know what? It's one of those situations, isn't it, that sometimes a player just seems to fit into a football club. And I just think that actually for the money that you're going to spend and that you, know, you need to bolster that squad, he, he would be a good signing permanently, I think. I agree. I, I think I, I've always been a fan, actually. I liked him before he went to Bayern Munich. Didn't quite work out for him there. But I like his energy. Um, I like his enthusiasm and I think he's got, got a great g- name as well when you're commentating <laughs> yeah. Sabitzer it sounds great it's a howitzer from Sabitzer we've got to use that when he scores from 25 yards but uh, Big cliche. Big but cliche. Uh, yeah I, th- I think he's got it all and as you say I think it, the, the price tag probably goes up <laughs> as a result of those two goals in midweek but it still won't be uh, a huge amount of money it'll be a fairly modest fee clearly the players like him and I think he improves the, the midfield options so yeah for me it's a no-brainer Certainly, you can make more of a case for Sabitzer signing permanently than you can for good old Vout Veghorst. Oh, just, just, why are you having a go at Vout Veghorst? Because he never scores a goal. Do you a favour? <laughs> yeah, but he's not supposed. Well, he uh, he is supposed to, but he's not. That's not his main role, is it? You know, he's there to hold up the play and for people to play off him and to be a focal point and to be a nuisance. And he leads the press well and he works incredibly hard. I actually tried to find out whether Vout. Veghorst, if Veghorst actually really did translate to workhorse, and apparently it does. Not uh, cart horse. Uh, I couldn't... St- I couldn't- oh. No, oh, come on. That's, uh, Dean, are you going to have that? As, uh, as someone who played... Hey, don't, strike, Dean used to score goals. Don't, don't throw me into this. How hard it is. <laughs> <laughs> Dean's like, I used to score, leave me alone. <laughs> He could strike the ball properly, Dean, and everything. Although I have been called a cart horse many times. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe we should play the two of you up front, cart horse and work horse. (laughs) Oh, dear. Um, uh, Martial, impressing in midweek? Are we we having Martial now, Crook? Did he impress? A few flashes. Doesn't have a long-term future of the football club for me. <laughs> oh dear, Casemiro was back though. He was effective, wasn't he, on Thursday night? And he'll, you know, he'll have a, an influence on this game. Look at Nottingham Forest. Nine games without a win. I said that I think they would stay up back in September. You know, when they were rooted to the bottom of the table, they've given themselves a good chance. You can have a go at that prediction all you like. 
you know, me the producer likes to put that into every Nottingham Forest game in the running order. Uh, I, I think that deserves a little bit of credit, the fact that they, they might still stay up with eight games to go. That's a, I think it's an amazing shout, bearing in mind that they were bottom of the table it's at the time. not as good as my Bournemouth anyway, to stay up shout, mate, I'll tell you that. Oh, yeah, yeah, with three months to go after they'd won three in a row or something. <laughs> yeah, brilliant. Well done. Uh, as Crook will always tell you, he knows when to get on and when to get off the right horse. Um, Forrest sacked the sporting director, Filippo Giraldi, and replaced him with Rangers' uh, Ross Wilson in midweek. Um, does it tell you that that club is being run in an efficient way, Dean? Um, it doesn't look good. I know that. And when you look at you know how the recruitment's gone, um, I'm surprised they're still in with a shout, to be honest. And I, I actually think I actually think he's been really unlucky, um, Steve Cooper, because when they started to have that good run and the good home form, they had two settled centre-backs. They had Yates in midfield, who I think is absolutely crucial to the embodiment of that football club. And they've been you know, decimated with those injuries to key, to key areas and, and key players. And they just haven't... I know they've got the, the you know, lots of players to choose from, but you, when you find that settled defensive structure and you lose that and they have got I mean this is one of a number of really difficult home fixtures and you would think well it's the home form that's going to get them out of it and their fixtures are really difficult at at home so I I think they'll be looking at this game and hoping that the injuries you know the the uh, the fixture pilot for Manchester United could play a part and this is actually a game they need to look at and think we need to get we need to get some points from this game uh, Crook, you're going to turn up to uh, Sunday's boot room in a half Lingard, half a Manchester United jersey. Funnily enough, not. <laughs> but You've got a Nottingham Forest shirt, though, haven't you? Uh, well, courtesy of your good self. And it has been worn. I have worn it to, to play football in, as I keep mentioning. I did score a couple of goals that night. So that's more than Lingard has managed in a Forest shirt this season. Um, it's a tough game for United because of the turnaround, because of the psychological blow conceding a couple of late goals. <laughs> I actually think it'll be quite low scoring. I wouldn't be surprised if Forrest won it 1-0. Equally, I wouldn't be surprised if United could win it 1-0. I think, yeah, I think it's a it's a really difficult fixture on the back of what happened on Thursday. Uh, we'll follow that on the Sunday session on TalkSport uh, from 1 o'clock on Sunday afternoon. 12.30 Saturday, Aston Villa against Newcastle. Clive Tildesley and Dean Ashton will bring you full commentary of that game. Game Day Live takes you round the grounds with Adrian Durham at 2.30. All the goals they go in, including the matches at Chelsea and at Everton. Tottenham Bournemouth is live on TalkSport 2 uh, from uh, 3 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. And then Monday Night Football is Leeds against Liverpool. And I'll be there alongside Danny Murphy. Big fixture that. Uh, Crook, uh, thank you very much. And Dino, have a good weekend. Enjoy that game between us. I will, yeah. Make sure you pay Crookie for the royalties for that, that that roll neck. Yeah, I will do. Don't worry about that. This is yesterday's roll neck, so I'm going to change it for the next show. Don't worry. I've got I've got a wardrobe of them. <laughs> we'll be back on Monday looking back at all the weekend's fixtures and ahead to another massive week in the Premier League. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. 
The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.